welcome to your Daily Game Face. I'm Dr. Kim Lannon, and I'm here with Lou Blasey. It's hotter than Hades in the studio this morning. Oh, it gets worse. <sighs> it gets much worse. But it's just, in the studio, it's just the transition times. In other words, in the summer, it'll be cool. In the winter, it's warm. But in fall and spring, it's like all over the map. Well, it's like a sauna in here. Yeah. It's 80 degrees outside it's right now. It feels bad. like it's 180. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a beautiful day. Lou and I were just having a conversation about the fact that I chose not to wear a skirt today because I was too lazy to drag me into that conversation. Shave my legs this morning. <laughs> not that everyone needs to know that, but uh, I was sucked into I that conversation. I wasn't having the conversation with you. You were sucked into the conversation. <laughs> well, it's hot in here, and that's why the conversation yep. came up because I was like, oh, I should have worn a skirt. Whew. Anyway. Yes. <laughs> Good morning. Good morning. And and it's a lovely day here in Massachusetts for people that are still in cold weather. We are nice and warm here this yep. week. It's beautiful. It makes vitamin D production fabulous and mental health issues hopefully clear for people that are uh, seasonally effective in their disordered mm -hmm. depressions yes. and anxieties. Mm -hmm. So how was your week? Not bad. Last night was great. First outdoor night here in New England. Oh, yeah. Get to sit outside. And it was beautiful. Yeah, no bugs. Well, no greenheads. Four seconds. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. where you live, they're coming. Yeah. They're so, coming. And people have been reporting the little cicadas like, are starting to pop up everywhere. Oh, really? Yeah. Yes. That would be fun. And I actually saw someone make cookies with them. And I was like, that's not what you're supposed to do. Cicada cookies? Yes. Yesterday on Facebook, oh. someone had posted cicada cookies. And I'm no. like, oh, that just killed no. that for me. You God, know? no. I don't think you're supposed to do that. No. So, anyway... <laughs> Hey, only on Facebook, right? The Facebook. The Facebook, The yeah. Facebook or the Instagram. Hey, my phrase for the week is, hey, people have different paths. If you want to eat cicada cookies, I just, as long as I don't have to we're all good. watch you or see them or be in, in the same room with them, I'm all fine. See, the big thing when I was a kid was that we did uh, chocolate-covered grasshoppers and chocolate-covered ants. No, you did not. I did. Oh. And I would never do that again. That was a thing. Oh. I'm sorry. <laughs> like repeatedly or no, just at no, one point like you decided thing. we're going to try this out? Well, that, you know, okay. it was given to me. Yeah. Like, you know, it was like my grandmother would also cook, you know, fiddleheads and dandelion greens, which I like. But, yeah. you know, at the same time, it was like, oh, and chocolate covered ants and. Fiddleheads are good. Yeah. I love fiddleheads and dandelion greens are fantastic. And they're a great source of vitamins and all that kind of stuff. When so, I was a kid, I played with grasshoppers. I wouldn't want to, like, kill them and put them in I chocolate and I eat them. I didn't kill them. They, yeah. were, they were already deceased and given to me which i would never do now right i mean i was a kid so you can't blame me were they gathered grasshoppers or were they store-bought grasshoppers or i believe that they were store-bought with uh. chocolate dip oh really so they're already prepared they were pre yes they were mm. pre-prepared pre-prepared yeah. <laughs> yes so anyway gross just gross yep period i could never do the bear grills thing or the like naked and afraid and mm, what's the sad. weirdest thing you've ever eaten Ooh. The su most surprising th thing to you that you've ever eaten? The most surprising thing? Yeah. Oh. I had alligator sausage once. Oh, I well, I, the, probably the most surprising thing, and I didn't realize I was eating it, and I would never do this again because I'm against it, but when I was in Australia. Oh, no. <laughs> see, see, I just had to say I was in Australia. Oh, no. And, yeah. um, and they they eat everything. And um, they were serving, wall, you know, like wallaby wall and, wall oh. and, and kangaroo. And I was like, oh, what's this? And they were like, what? I'm like, oh, no, no, yeah. no. I was like, because those are cute little, little yeah. creatures. Yeah. I can't do that. So. Funny, kangaroos came up the other day because I was ta I was talking about my deer killing tally. Oh my God, this is terrible. Well, no, not not purposely. Oh, I've, like killed with vehicles. I've killed oh. like three deer. Oh my God. Yeah, in the course that's of my like, career. Well, that's a record. Yeah. Well, the the last one, as I describe this all the time, I had had some experience hitting deer, <laughs> and a deer crossed the road in front of me, and I missed it, and I said to myself, "There's always two. There's always two. There's two. always two. Yeah, so I'm scanning, and, and I saw another one across the road on the left side and i said okay and i killed the third one. Oh my god <laughs> yeah. Lou. i was too busy looking for the second one and killed the third one <laughs> okay no come on it the happens show, it's new your england daily game face just took a yeah. terrible turn for the for the for the, I don't know, the first the first question the cop asked me when he got there were you drunk no well oh. i'm sure he was assessing that at the time because the woman behind me was lost her mind i'm sure and called the cop she was out of her mind about it 
and <laughs> comes up to me, and I had the Jeep. I had a Wrangler. Yeah. And the oh. Jeep looked like it hadn't been scratched. It was like nothing. And the cop looks at me and he goes, do you want it? I said, oh, my God. Are you serious? Yeah. I said, no, I don't want it. Oh. He goes, all right, we'll take it to a homeless shelter because I guess that's what they do. Oh. Huh. Yeah. Well, I've only been hit by a deer once. And I, I believe it lived. And it was, it's very devastating. Oh, oh to be Being honest, yeah, one of them hit I, me. Yeah, yes. I, I hit two. One of them hit me. Oh, so I was yeah. I was driving along and it ran, yep. it literally ran into me. Yeah, you get no chance. Get yeah, no chance. and I did but see it coming and then it bounced off. Yeah. When I told that story, I think it was on Sirius this weekend, someone told me that in Australia, yes. the equivalent is kangaroo. Yeah, oh, they're everywhere. Like people are running down kangaroos left and right. Well, because they, I mean... So, given that I've been to Australia, I can I can attest to the fact that so you know how deer are kind of you can see them they're sporadic here you know they're yeah. not as you know, at least well in the past year they're a little so bit there's more. more deer are more prevalent there than deer are I mean well, kangaroos, kangaroos are more prevalent there than deer are in here in my experience yeah. of being there when I was it was you know for an extended period of time you did not go a day without seeing I don't know pods or big yeah <laughs> they I don't know what they big groups of them along the road and hopping along and. Really? Doing, they were everywhere. Having a smoke. And, yeah. Which is why they explained to me, coming back to the story of eating them, was why they were good with, you know, harvesting them because they're sure. plentiful. Mm. Thinning the herd. <sighs> yeah. So, But I don't do that. So, And they eat a lot of different interesting things. The only other place that I've been to where I've been a little, well, I haven't, in Asia, I wouldn't eat oh. 90% of the stuff. That, yeah. yeah. But, um, but in Iceland, one of my favorite places to ever travel to. If you ever get a chance to go there, I highly recommend it. I go there time and again for one, the Aurora Borealis is amazing. Yeah. And then they have the Blue Lagoon and all the hot springs and all these beautiful places. But they still do whaling there. And I'm out yeah. on killing whales. Yep. And they also have horse as a delicacy. And I'm not doing that because oh, I love horses. That's tough. So, yeah. So uh, your daily game face is now talking about <laughs> saving animals today. Yep. Um, yeah. So and so when you walk along to all the little restaurants, they have you know the little, you know little billboards out and you know yep. the, um, medallion of horse and whatever. But it's not like some of them are they cage it in a different word. And I was like, what's that? And they're like, oh, it's the wild horse stallion. Blah, blah. Oh, no, no, no. I'm like, no, no, no. We do not kill horses. No. I'm all set. Or whales. Yeah. So, um, yeah. yeah so, so I didn't actually taste that. And I'm good. I stuck with salmon. I might have tried the kangaroo, though. If I'm in Australia and I'm in a restaurant and it's on the menu, I might try it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, mean, I did. But yeah. then, it, then and things that have a face that are cute, I can't do that. No, oh, interesting. You know? That's why I don't eat rabbit. Oh, well, I'm Italian. I, I have done it, but well, not I've since I was a kid. Out. Yeah. Right. So, especially yeah. when people just give you and say, Here I don't you like go. it. I don't like any food that looks like the original animal. Yeah, that's why I don't eat whole fish. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> anyway, okay. Yeah. So, so moving along. <laughs> just, my mind's going back to a couple bad incidents in that oh regard. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, moving, this is why I'm going to now be vegetarian. Yep. So, yes. no. Yes. Okay. It's good for you. Uh, so what? Okay. <laughs> um, so this, I didn't want to let the whole month go by, even though we we're only midway through, is that this is Mental Health Awareness Month. Did you know that? I think we've mentioned that. Haven't we mentioned so that? I, yeah. Maybe. Yeah. But if I haven't, and we're in the middle of the month and smack in the middle of it and coming into summer, May is Mental Health Awareness Month. And, and what better time to be talking about mental health and awareness because people are sort of losing their minds because <laughs> people are, people are having a little bit of meltdown about the unmasking the masking the oh my god we're going back to work oh my god people are going to be near me and they're vaccinated yep. they're not vaccinated uh, one and, last tissy fit before and the yeah. anxiety that has and and the mask shaming that has come up in the past week as a result of the no mask mask yes no don't wear it yes yep <laughs> so um you know not making any light of it but people i mean now here it is awareness month for just regular everyday you know timely anxiety depression bipolar ocd people that have all kinds of you know long-term addiction issues right. like all these things and now we add in like this acute panic of people you know people are panicking oh yeah you know what i do for a living right yeah okay <laughs> <laughs> So um, there's some panic because some people are are very worried. Like so, for instance, this is I think this has good ground. There's a lot of people that work in hospitals that I work with clearly because I'm a doctor. Sure. So 
there's more, at least anecdotally, there's been more people talking to me in the past week about from hospital workers that we can't go unmasked because there's so many compromised patients immunity wise. And also there's still COVID going on within that, that confine. Absolutely. So the, so the hospital staff, doctors, nurses, social workers, everyone that like I see and that I'm friends with and so on, there's a little bit of a panic because, you know, they don't want the hospital. So there's one hospital I know for someone that's working and that's lowering the mask mandate. And so now there's a lot of fight back with the nurses and the doctors saying, no, 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 because... But everyone has the option to wear a mask. No one's saying you can't wear a mask. Right. But yeah. if you, but the thing is, is, you know, when you say you don't have to wear it, if you're vaccinated, then it's on the honor system. Now you've got people who aren't honorable, who will not, you know, they're anti-vax, right. which is fine if they want to be that way. But then they're not considering the other people that would like them to. So I know that there's been lots of talk about, and I just keep telling all my clients and colleagues that it will work itself out because a lot of companies and hospitals and restaurants, and they're going to choose that, you know, no shirt, no service, no pants, no service, no shoes, no service, no mask, no service. So it's kind of going to follow that line and, and I can already see that happening. So I've just, instead of being like, uh, you know, no colluding with anybody, but just jumping on the bandwagon of, I think that most places will yeah. stay in line with the panic of people's, because they don't want to lose business for one way or the other, but. Well, that's not, businesses have a right to make a decision. Right. That's not panic. And a, right. a restaurant gets a positive case, they shut down for, well, that's for the a thing. few days. And, and they can't, I, and that's they can't I, afford it. And well, that's the thing is, so if you, oh, so many conversations about this. So if, yeah. if all the masking goes away, or they say you don't have to wear a mask here and someone gets COVID in the restaurant and restaurant worker and the whole place has to shut down for two weeks and the whole thing, well, yep. there goes the revenue. So what is it? You know, I have, I have a client that owns a restaurant and I said, if you if you have that happen, then what? And they hadn't thought of that. <laughs> they're like, oh, no mask. This is awesome. I'm like, what happens if you get a COVID case? And they're like, uh, I'm like, you have to yeah. shut down. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, that's right. I'm like, so you might want to rebalance that. And then they were like, oh, I have to do that. Yeah. I think I'm going to have to do that because that's it. Because the work it, still comes in. It'll work itself out in the way it should have worked itself in the first place, which is, you know, people take care of your own thing, make your own decision and, you know, do well, the deal. You, so you, but so here's the, the human nature thing of this. Yeah. And that goes back to that piece that I was sort of alluding to at the beginning, sort of, is just that people aren't always honorable. And then that pushes the right. buttons of other people, you know, so it's. It's a, it's a very hard thing because this goes back to my stay in your own lane. You know, like if you're vaccinated and you've chosen to be vaccinated, do your thing. If you've chosen not to be, you know, that's fine. But the honesty piece is what yep. is the questionable. Pain. That's where the the underlying piece of anxiety comes in, I think, for people um, and being uh, yeah. worried. Um, the other the other aspect of that is, well, oh, people, you know, the New York Yankees, nine people of them got COVID. Well, it tested well, positive after vaccinations. But yeah. so so in science and theory, and this is only my this is only my clinical opinion, not based on other people's opinions about this, is that there's a difference between Pfizer, Moderna and um, Johnson and Johnson. And not that there's a difference in like the fact that they're all mRNA. They're all like the same kind of stream. But Pfizer and Moderna, there's a reason why there's two shots. There's a reason why it's like doubled up. There's a reason, you know. And there's a reason why it's 97 and 94 percent. When you get a shot, it's one shot that's got head issues and it's 64 or 67 percent or whatever the percentage has been up and down raging. Right. Mm, Well, you know, there's more likelihood that you're going to have 64 percent, nine players of 26 man team. Just, just about right. Right. Well, so so this, so (laughs) you know, when you logic it out, you go right, and so, and you get just because you got the shot. I mean, I imagine, see, in my mind, knowing sports teams and players, they got it and they ran out and ran amok, and the masks came off and they did their thing, and well, and now, so it's not like oh, the shots don't work. It's no. So the Yankees are Johnson and Johnson. (laughs) Who the Yankees took had the Johnson and Johnson vaccine. Okay. Yes. That's that was what was reported. Why would you do that? I'm, I don't. That was a very poor decision. I, yeah. Well. Yeah. I didn't make it. <laughs> I did not make this decision. So yeah. unless unless the reporting was wrong, that was my educated guess. After I heard that, oh, this is what happened. I'm like, of course, nine yeah. players got it. 
and like you just did the math and like right because it was just about the percentages we expected right so it's not that johnson and johnson doesn't work it works but if it's 64 whatever the percentage is it's lower so you're going to be more likely to catch yeah. it just you won't get it you won't be hospitalized maybe you won't die like you would have before like that but you're just your range of statistics goes yeah so I'm very much encouraging people if they can get the Pfizer or get Moderna, so go towards that. I'll make a confession here. Yes. My son is my son's commencement is Friday. I saw your pictures. And at UVM, um, they are allowing two guests that are right. fully vaccinated, and the vet definition of fully vaccinated is both shots and 14 days. Yes. So 14 days after the, the last shot. Here comes the confession. So I'm not going to make that because I just had my second shot Saturday. Oh, so going to be short. Yeah, so uh, my son goes, what do you want to do? I goes, well, get the ticket, and we'll give it a shot. Ha-ha. Uh -huh. <laughs> and so I got an email from UVM, and it was about the vaccination attestation. And I uh, said, oh, I'm good. They're going on the honor system here, like that. And then I went through the whole process and, you know, the whole process of applying for it. And at the end is, make sure you travel with your vaccination card to campus. And it's like, well, yeah, all right, so that's not going to work. But Well, you can still travel with it. I can still travel with it, but I'm not going to be able to get into the commencement. Well, you might, because they they might. Mm. Yeah, so, we were speculating they're bluffing. No, I I would imagine <laughs> that they're going to look at it. If they look at it, they're not going to do the math because there's so many people. Yeah. Just the reason why I'm saying that is because I just saw that happen. Oh, exactly really? the same thing, and there's people like you know they were like six days short or four days short or whatever. And they were like, go ahead. But they got to have the date in the head right. about when, what the clearance, the earliest date is. You right. Think. So. And they're running like eight commencements during the day, right. different ones within about a half an hour right. of each other. Right. But, so, and I'm certainly not saying, oh, you should you know, blow it off. But I'm just saying like, you it's know. It's just funny. I, I think that, and, and I have heard, and you know, the CDC has been waxing and waning over the past week and a half, in, you know, with their direction. But yeah. the two-week window has been moving around on that too oh, has it? so yeah. um not a ton but it's like it's just a say you know oh go two weeks because it's just you know that will make it fully boosted but yeah there's other people that have said well it's you know doctors you see like talk about it they're actually epidemiologists and saying well you're really vaccinated within like 48 hours afterwards and so it's just the window that you're you know just to be safe yeah. kind of thing so but nonetheless, no, I would still bring it and say it's UVM, which has been militant about this. Yes. And, and I don't um, I'm not saying that in a pejorative way. No, because no, they did a good job. They've done a really good job. They got the kids through the year. Right. And without major incidents. And, you know, they did the thing they were supposed to do. So I understand it. Just funny. I mean, you're going to have 95 percent of those. The people in that commencement are going to be fully vaccinated. And, right. You know. Right. I don't know. Right. But I know. We'll see. So but this is, is the world we live in. So this is why, you know, it's important around the mental health awareness. <laughs> this is a huge, I mean, what a weird timing, perfect timing, odd timing, whatever it is. The for odd part about that was with, I was talking with his mother about it. And we were going over it. She goes, see if you can get the Johnson Johnson shot. And that was the day that they paused it. The very same day. See? Yeah. You weren't meant to get that. Yeah. Thank God. Yep. I'm glad you didn't. <laughs> Uh, um, so, um, well, good luck with that. It's, I, I hope. it's fine. I'll watch it online. We'll go to dinner. Everything will be fine. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so mental health awareness month being that it is. So besides the shot, not shot, <laughs> mass, not mask, yeah. right? Issues. Um, the, there's two big issues that have come up in terms of, you know, what's going on in the country mental health wise this year. And that's really addressing the lack of addressing of children being impacted by this mm -hmm. and then also it always comes up addiction so yeah. um so addressing addressing the children aspect first and, and people talking about you know oh the kids have been inside people um i won't generalize it but i will generalize it there's so many parents and so many adults that think oh kids are kids are resilient which they are but yep. You know, kids don't have stress. Kids don't really care. Kids are just easygoing. Kids can sit in their room. Kids, ah, uh, right? Well, I have handfuls of kids in my practice that, I mean, the loneliness factor and the feeling of disconnect and the feeling of um, what we call parasuicidal behavior yep. gestures. So it's not, a, so suicidal behavior is obviously trying to kill yourself or right. wanting to kill yourself. But there's a, there's a section of people in the world that have mental health issues at times where their anxiety and their depression is, 
is there and it's an agitation of under the surface but in order to relieve it they act out in self-harming kind of ways and one of those ways that I see having an increase this year is things like cutting um, you know kids will you know take you know little razors or yep. bobby pins or safety pins or little knives or whatever and cut like little strips on their legs or their or their arms or whatever yep. where you can't see um, and it's not like they're deep cutting they do like scratching so it just bleeds a little yep. bit and and so people are gonna go oh my god that's terrible yes it's not a good thing but what it is is kids and, and adults do this too not more kids do it than adults but it's a it's a sign of I need help versus I want to kill myself. Right. So <clears throat> when kids are adolescents mostly feeling lonely, rejected, socially disconnected, not feeling like they have anything going forward, you know, because adolescence is a time when kids are really trying to figure out what's my purpose in life. Right. Is, is the world real? Who are these two people that I thought were great? And now I'm realizing that, oh, my God, they're not the gods that I thought they were parents. Yep. Right. Yep. They're going through all that anyway. And now they've been isolated for 16 months and mm -hmm. or whatever and had Zoom calls and some have been in school, but not a lot of social connection. And I have kids saying, I don't know how to be social anymore. I don't know what to say. I don't know what my friends look like. I don't have I, yeah. all these things. And so, you know, they're acting out. So I've seen an increase in the acting out on self-harm so self-harm doesn't just come in that that's the form of just the cutting but that's one of the biggest ones but also um drinking mm -hmm. picking up drinking at earlier ages um having you know parents have had more booze in the house and right. other stuff so they've been picking up oh you know they don't notice parents aren't you know paying attention they're at work that you know the kids like oh i took a beer i took a truly i took a whatever and went outside <clears throat> or into the bedroom you know have clients that yeah, parents will tell me yeah i found a handle of vodka in my son's you know closet oh yeah. that's great <laughs> right so so and that's always been something that happens but the increase of that over right. over teenager or early adolescent tweeners coming up through and the social isolation is pretty significant so um more of the psa to people that are listening that if you have kids certainly get them as activated as you can right away i know a lot of schools have gone back in full if you've chosen to keep your kid home, it's only a few more weeks left, try to get them to a summer camp, get them into something that's going to be more group related, get them back to being connected because the social disconnect yeah. is huge on the mental health issues around anxiety and depression and low self-esteem and loss of contact with reality. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and, you know, and I've told you stories before about, you know, people who really not come out of their house in a whole year, which blows my mind. Right. But there are people that are, you know, have not left or if they have left, it's just within the compound of their actual home. And this was a group of adolescents who were struggling with this prior to COVID. Right. Right. And then it's just compounded. Right. Mm -hmm. Because of the isolating nature of social media, the, uh, you know, just, right. just the diminished of social norms and behaviors right was already a problem before COVID hit right and and you see like a lot of depersonalization and dissociative behaviors you know so the anxiety is dissociation mm -hmm. from your body and your in your feelings so you're always feeling like you're not part of yourself so kids will report like I don't feel like I'm me yeah and so and parents are like what does that mean that's ridiculous what are you talking about I'm like well that's actually anxiety yep it's not them being crazy and you know and I have parents be like oh they're just crazy no that's actually a feeling that's a real thing yeah um and and even little kids so I have a, a few little kids um who have not even started school yet so this they're school age but they haven't actually gone into school so their whole first school year experience has been on zoom and so I wow. have a couple that have gone out and started like doing soccer and like peewee ball and like t-ball and stuff like that. And the behaviors, and I've got a couple coaches telling me that the behaviors of kids this year coming in has been atrocious because they have not social, they don't know social norming. They have not. Right. So they're all running amok and screaming and no following rules yeah. and structures all over the place. So it's been quite interesting in the past couple they weeks. They think the world is the house. They can act right. in the world like they can in the house. Right. You know, bouncing off, you know, yeah. the walls. <laughs> that they have the priority everywhere all the time. Because right, the they've been yeah. so, they've been. Yeah either isolated away from everyone and ignored or they've been doted on doted on doted yeah. on and then it's all of a sudden there's 20 other kids and you're like wait a second yeah that's me so <laughs> yeah so so i think that downplaying kids stuff is not a good idea and kids are resilient but this is not the same as we've been dealing with before this is something that we have a compounded issue for mental health issues and um 
I think if people don't watch their kids and their adolescence and self-esteem and sadness and feelings like that and, and they downplay it, you're going to see a long roll, even with adults, right? Yep. You're going to see, cause, because of this past year, you're going to see like a trend of upward movement on mental health issues from this set of generation coming up through because of the pandemic. And yeah, I think my colleagues would likely agree. And that, you know, I'm just picking on this one set of people like population age group, but it's for everybody, but particularly kids, because kids kind of get pushed over to the side, like, oh, they're fine. All right. So what are some of the signs that, that does it, that require attention? Some um, of the things you should pay attention to. Well, obviously, if you know your kid at, at, at his or her baseline of being like more social, more outgoing and all those things, then certainly one of the high signs is isolating. Not, you know, you give them an offer to go out and do something that like, now that's OK. I, I'm going to stay in my room. Yep. Um, you know, uh, you're having starting to make plans. They're refusing. They're going out with you and being withdrawn, um, more resistant. Um, crying, yeah. tears, um, telling you they don't feel good, stomach aches, headaches increasing, things like that. Mm -hmm. You know. Yeah. I mean, anything that's away from what your typical kid would be baseline. And if your baseline kid change was, of behavior, right? change right. of behavior is always a key. Right. And if your baseline kid was already at a struggle, then yeah. You know, if they're never coming down for dinner. And they always used to, and now they're never coming down for dinner. That's a problem. Yeah. You know, and and also the fact that you have to probably get rid of the gaming, <laughs> the gaming units that have given them babysitting time, because the Xboxes and the yeah. Switches and all that stuff has been babysitting a lot. You know, oh, I was on school today for twenty minutes, and then the rest of the day I was gaming. Yeah. And so to go out in the world, you know, I don't want to do that. And it's effort and, you know, and people gain weight and there's lack of exercise. And now it's, oh, I got to, it's, you know how it is. You get into a slump and you get into the sedentary spaces. It's so hard yep. to undo it. So if it's, it, whether it's weight, you know, movement in brain, activity cognitively, uh, just walking around, mm, it's all going to be moved in the other direction. So, and if you as parents or you as adults aren't, modeling that for your kids then you're part of the problem and bringing that to them because you're not showing them that this is what we do plus i think kids of that age it's important to um have expectations for mm -hmm. them mm -hmm. and res quote unquote responsibilities for example yeah. participate in the family be there at dinner right you know that type of thing go out with us you know if we're going to go get a pizza or something come along so I think people who don't expect things of kids are setting them up for failure. I think, Absolutely. I think expectations are important. Well, yeah, and I think that I think that people. No, you can't stay in your room twenty four seven. Come on. Right, and yeah. I and I think that some of the families that are having the hardest time now that I'm seeing are ones that used to require things and then kind of let it go over yeah. the year because it just became easier, and now to restart it and restarting it as we go into summer. Yeah. <laughs> Like the structure already is lacking as it is because then school's out. You know, yep. They all go back into school last week or two weeks ago. And then, you know, what is it, two more weeks, three more weeks, they're done. Yeah. Yep. And so it's like, oh, that's why I'm saying like summer camps, get them structured, have them do sport, you know, sign them up. If they're of, of work age, get them a job, find something for them to do. So they're having to be up and out of the house and have a purpose so that they're not just sitting around waiting for September to come to go back to school. Yep. I remember, uh, I probably told this story before, but the best piece of advice I ever got for parenting was from the pediatrician. The first time we brought Sarah to the pediatrician, mm -hmm. we're still young parents. We are petrified out of our minds, like to the point where, why are they letting us have this kid? <laughs> <laughs> and brought it to the pediatrician, and I asked the question. I said, listen, how do we know when to call you? You know, When is it just something yeah. they're upset, deal with it, or when do I call the pediatrician? And she looked at me, and she goes, trust your instincts. You know, yeah. you probably know the right answer. Yeah. And that's kind of the thing with parenting. And these, yeah. if, if your child is having issues or having struggles, trust your gut. You, right. You probably know. No one knows the kid better than you do. Well, however, yeah. I have I have a side to that is that you would think that. And I think that that's, for the most part, more often true than not. But I tend to see kids who the parents don't really know them very well. And so, therefore... A lot of the conversations are about the fact that the child is so misunderstood or not understood or not yeah. even seen. Mm -hmm. And so it's not really 
that's not a piece of, you know, I have to bring it back to say to a parent, like, hey, here's what is going on and here's what needs to happen. And usually I get that response of, oh, I didn't realize that was going on. Or, oh, surprise, you know, surprise. More like, oh, I never would have thought that. And they didn't tell me. And yeah. and usually because there's not a relationship going on. I mean, many parents, obviously, like yourself with your kids and, and many mm-hmm. parents and kids have good relationships or at least enough to have that. But when they come into my office oftentimes, and I think my colleagues would probably agree, is that the relationship, there's relationship there, but there's something amiss that the parent really doesn't know the kid as well as yeah. they think they do, or the kid won't tell them because there's either authoritarian parenting going on or really permissive parenting and not really a lot of involvement other than here. You know, I had 10 years ago, I had a parent come in, sit down with their child, adolescent at the time, um, and looked at me and said, here's what I think happened. Here's what I think is going on. This person was in the hospital for the past two weeks. Um, here's what this person, my, my kid told me had happened. I don't know what to do. You fix it. And I never saw the parent again. Wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. I, and I still have this now adult in my practice who's flourished. Um, but the yeah, issue but I there de- was yeah. the parenting. I and, couldn't detach like that. I mean, oh, yeah. yeah, help yeah, me fix she, it, but I want to know what happened. Oh, yeah. No, no, yeah. The, exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so in pursuit of trying to get the mother and father involved, it was like, oh, no, we don't want to. No, no, no. You just fix it. Good Lord. Wow. <laughs> And that's not unusual. Yeah. I have, that's not an only, I have multiples of, you know, in ranging degrees of like hands off. Like, I don't want to deal with that. Like, I don't want to know. And, or oh, it's just so ridiculous. They're just, you know, it's all in their head or, you know, very minimizing, very, you know, yeah. um, mental health issues don't exist. Or I have parents that don't like to have their kids come to therapy because the kids tell things on their parents. And that's one of the things is, I, you know, I have someone in my colleague's life right now that won't let their kid come to therapy because they don't want the child talking about them, which means the red flag. Wow. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not unusual. I mean, it's, it's not the norm, but it's certainly out there a lot. And so I believe it's not unusual that parents have that worry, but isn't it unusual that they would actually stop the kid from going to therapy because Um, of that? Well, you're going to have more people that are not going to do that, but certainly this is not, this is not unusual for, yeah, that's it. Yeah. There's definitely parents out oh. there that don't want, you know, anything outside the house. You know, what happens in the, you know, what happens in Vegas happens in Vegas mm-hmm. and stays there. And same thing in the house is they don't want the kid telling because the likelihood, like in the case I'm thinking about right now, is there's, if my colleague would be, should be probably getting ready to call a DCF call, but yeah. not right there yet. But yeah, wow. <laughs> so, yeah. So, and it's not because there's abuse, but there's a lot of neglect and, you know, and there's in the and you can you know just do stories. I'm like, oh, I, you know, I I don't know the kid. I don't know anything about that. I just know the story of like how this is happening. And like, oh man, and I've heard it time and again of like, oh yeah, the parent doesn't want anyone to know what's going on. Everything looks fine. They don't want the, but clearly the kid's telling everyone at school that something's wrong. Yeah. And the kids tell you know, and the parents like, nope, no therapy. They're gonna talk bad about me. Well, maybe that's a cue for you. Yeah. <laughs> that's a cue for you. That shouldn't that be your biggest worry. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Not about you, but about your child. So, um, which, you know, often that's what leads to yeah. parents missing, like, the, the cues of kids being suicidal or being so dejected or so feeling so lonely that this is what's going on. Yeah. Um, so anxious. So I just think that kids get, kids have been so impacted by this past year in such a you know they don't they don't have jobs so they didn't have something to go to every day like we did and right. they don't have the outlets that you know adults create and then if you're an adult you know you adults had issues as well yep. but i think kids get bypassed and so you're going to hear probably more and more of that in the news in the next few months because now assessments are happening more and more because kids have gone back to school and the rise in child abuse had gone up because when the pandemic started and people got locked in like alcohol and drug abuse went up domestic violence went up and child abuse went up because now you've locked in your child with the abusers you you know the children have been locked in with their abusers instead of being able to go and have access to have people watching which makes it drop in 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 numbers now it's risen so now they're going back to school and you can see the numbers rising of like child abuse cases and people being reported and dcf being called because children are so 
distraught and yeah. having to tell about their story of being home for the past year. It's very sad. So just making people aware during Mental Health Awareness Month that there's some pretty big stuff going on out there with kids and adolescents and being mindful to, if you have them in your life, to watch out for. And the, ex- the extreme ends of this, I'm guessing there was kind of a fail-safe pre-COVID in school in that yes. people were observing the kids right. and picking up some of these signs, signs and right. you know, mandated reporting and things like that. Right. But without that oversight right. and the house just being closed in, right. a lot of this didn't come out. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And then and there were certainly, I mean, I know of cases that, you know, on Zoom calls, teachers would see certain things and then they would call on on things that were nothing. And then, because I certainly heard many of those yeah. stories, you know, um, you know, kids sleeping, something's wrong, you know, no one's home, you know, that kind of stuff or um, drinking, someone had something. I remember a kid had something. They were accused of drinking, and it was in a beer bottle. It was a root beer bottle, and some yep. DCF got caught. So, there, <laughs> so there's some good ones like that, but they were Man. they were not those things. But, um, but yeah, the failsafe of, and it's certainly not perfect. But when you have kids in school and you have kids doing sports, and they're also being abused at home or neglected or something's happening, you've got lots of adults who have hands on, eyes on, and yeah. you're you're catching it more often. Somewhat trained adults, yeah. or, or yes. people who have some experience, some experience, yeah, yeah. right? And so. So this year has been really not so good for that. So and then and I know you do sports consulting a lot, yes. and this has been such a big loss for kids. A, a lot of the answers for a lot of these problems is in team sports. Yep. And um, you know we laugh about it and people roll their eyes, but learning life lessons and, oh. and learning to deal with adversity and learning yes. how to celebrate things. It's like sports is such a big part of that. Huge. And and I think that when kids you know haven't had it and. And, and that's been hard for parents. I have a few cases where parents have had a hard time getting their kids going to go back because they're so demotivated now. It's like, eh, you yeah. know, and they loved this. They loved the soccer. They loved lacrosse yep. or baseball or whatever. And the parents are like, what do you mean you don't want to go? And they're like, eh, eh. Well, they're worn into sedentary. Set, right. Well, yeah. that's the thing yeah. is it's just been like, well, I've been sitting in my room playing on the computer and watching TV and even to say, go outside, go out, just go sit in the sun, go run around the yard. Mm. It's funny. It's it's kind of like enlightenment. If you've been around team sports, your life, you participated, your mm-hmm. kids participated, things like that. It's very easy to pick out people who have no contact with it, mm-hmm. right? You just see, no, you don't understand the whole team thing at all. No. And kids that don't have that experience, you can, they're, there's just a whole, different in their con- a whole difference in their context and outlook. Right. Right. Oh, totally. It's harder for kids who haven't participated in team sports or, you know, debate club or theater or anything like that. It doesn't have to be sports. Some cooperative endeavor. Right. They have a hard time getting out of there. There's other things in the world besides me. Right. You know, those are the kids that struggle with that. Right. And and you have that, you know, as only only children, you know, I see that a lot with onlys because if you have only you in the house and you've been not doing anything and then you uh, have the motivation just is lost, you know, Mm -hmm. it's just not there because there's no, there's no one else around you to model anything going on to say, oh, this is exciting. Let's go. And, oh, you know, my brother's doing it or my sister's doing it or, you know, there's, it's just like, oh, the family, it's mom, dad, and me. Yeah. Think of the lack of highs in this past year for, for, Families that have been more confined than I imagine they have been. Right, to, you know? and to have, well, to have those self-actualized moments, those successes yeah. or anything like that, you, it's just people are, you know, people just become complacent and to no fault of their own because of the situation. So um, so that's so that's it about the kid thing is that yeah. that's, you know. Now moving on to adults, mm. <laughs> starting with the kid issue, but moving on to adults with the, with the increase in people asking about, um, you know, opiates and... Um, and it kind of is the kid thing, too, because you see a little bit of an increase in adolescence use yep. of it because they've been in the house and their parents have it. Or they, you know, someone has it because of an injury and it's an old prescription in the yeah. medicine chest, you yep. know, that, that whole thing. So, but also, um, now not little kids, but adolescents. So in their downtime, when they, you know, I know a lot of adolescents in, in the area, you know, did bonfires and stuff at night and you know, not be monitored yep. all the time. And, and I, I have seen several clients that have been introduced to things that they shouldn't have been introduced to. So now there's an issue. And then you, yep. and it's perpetuated and it's got stuff in the house and parents don't know. And, you know, and we're talking like 16, 17, 18, and then they're drinking yep. on top of it. And yep. so you, so those numbers have now stacked into the increased, you know, it's 30, I think the number, the last number I saw on the increase of alcohol and drug abuse this year has gone up 
to 30 something percent. Yeah. It was 32 percent. I think it might be 36 now. Um, and that's just reported. Yeah. And I'm going with the fact that it's got to be higher by leaps and bounds because people, you know, people don't report. Well, the in, the outlets to report them have been diminished. Access right. to the outlets to report have been it, diminished. So, exactly. Yeah, you're right. That's the tip of the iceberg. Right. So, and you, and you figure, so if we just think about, you know, AA and NA and all the A's that help with, you know, the anonymous yep. groups that help, I know they're running statistics on, on things. And certainly they've been up and running on zoom i know there's a lot of places that never stopped doing in person yeah um so i know but that they... was an adjustment for them yes i mean it's it's become helpful and effective but it wasn't for a while it took, right. it took everyone a while to get used to running meetings this way and, right. and dealing with their recovery in this way because isolation is the enemy to recover addiction yeah right because addiction really needs to be connection you know mm -hmm. the opposite of yep. you know being depressed and in addiction is to be connected and so this is one of the you know the kiss yeah. of death kind of thing uh for for people with recovery um pursuits mm -hmm. because you need connection one of the biggest things for people in recovery to be doing is is connecting in with resources call lists yeah. groups sponsors activities sponsors yeah. so it's always getting connected getting connected so you don't feel isolated and alone which is the underside of a lot of addiction all addiction has that underside sure. of aloneness so so you have to have access to connection all the time whether it be some are doing multiple meetings a day or talking to their right. sponsor or right. but or going, a lot of times they all go out, you know, yeah. they not being offensive there, but they as a group will go out for coffee or they meet up and do an activity together, right. uh, you know, because, you know, they, they do men's group, women's group. They, you know, they do the co-ed group. Right. They do a step meeting. Then they do like a traditions meeting. Then they go practice. Like there's a lot of activity that goes on as a group of them together who are all going towards the same universal shared experience. And when that's taken away. Hmm, a team sport. Right. Yeah. yeah. A team sport, right? A, so, share, a shared universal a sh experience right. and a sense of responsibility to something outside of yourself. Right. Because yep. you have the accountability piece. Yep. So, yes. And so, therefore, when that's taken, that's why I put them together, the kids with the, you know, the, yeah. the whole, the, the concept is the same thing, is that if you don't have that cohesiveness to feel like you're connected to something larger than yourself, then the, yep. the spike goes up in the relapse and the slips and the behavior. And so... Um, and, and people, for some reason this past week, we, I've been talking a lot with clients about you don't have to actually pick up a drug or alcohol or gamble or have sex or do the thing that it is the ism that you do. It, you can be in relapse or you can be in slip mode if you're doing the behaviors that lead to it. And people yeah. are like, what does that mean? I'm like, well, y y you can be sober, which means you're clean from the substance of choice or the thing that you were doing to right. create the problem. But if you're still having the negative attitude and the bad, the bad thought process or the depressive thing or the, you know, it's just the negativity around it or the toxicity. And then you act on that. You know, the thought becomes the feeling, which becomes a behavior that's not nice or you're right. lashing out or you're angry or you're agitated or whatever it is, as an example. Well, you're just you're the only thing that's not happening is you're not treating it yet with the substance. That's why you need 12 steps. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's what the 12 steps are all about, treating the underlying behavior that led to the addiction. The addiction is usually a symptom more than right. the so diagnosis, the use, right? So the use of the actual thing, whether it's, you know, gambling, drugs, alcohol, sex, exercise, eating, cutting, mm -hmm. right? Yep. Those are all the, those are the symptoms of the problem. So the problem is then after you stop mm -hmm. and you're sober or clean from the thing that you were doing, then that's when the work has to happen. Yep. If you don't do the work, because you you're stay staring at the void again, you yes, have to fill the you're void. You're staying sober, but you're yeah. not connected to anything that's going to really address the underlying reason that caused the symptoms to cause the problem. Mm -hmm. So people are always like, "Oh, I I went to detox. I I'm clean. Uh huh. Yeah. And now what? Yep. And they're like, "Oh, well, I'm going back to work, and I'm but you've been doing this for like." 15 years and right. this is like your seventh trip around the sun and what are you doing to fix that oh i'm good now i just i had to get it out of my system mm. no. and yeah. so predictably st statistically you're back in the cycle right there because you know we call it one two three stepping in the step meetings right it's you, <laughs> yep. you you admit you've got a problem you then you know you go through the first three steps now i think i said this last week fourth and fifth step 
are where you have to really look at you and what has happened and your your character flaws and your resentments yep. and then all these things that have happened between you and other people. And people don't like to do that. So they one, two, three step, one, two, three step, one, two, three step. Well, you have to go around the loop a couple of times to learn the lesson because first time recovery, second time recovery is rarely, if ever, work. Right. I mean, how many times it's, have you heard someone recover, stay in recovery from their first it's, attempt? It's, it happens, but it's super yeah, rare. Yeah, super rare. Yeah. Very, very, very rare because... Because it, you're staring, once you, the uh, addiction is gone, you're staring at the thing that drove you to the addiction, right. and you have to have the skills to deal with that, or well, you're just going to be driven right back to the addiction, well, or another one. Right, and, yeah. if we, and if we look at addiction, like like on the series of how many times someone relapses, right? And we never know because people have all have to hit their own bottoms, whatever. But yeah. you just see someone first coming out of their addiction into recovery, say the first or second time. And one of the biggest mistakes that I think people make when they're doing that is they go back into the same environment and the environment is the family. Yep. Usually it's still the people are with each other. Yep. And the person who's in addiction isn't in it alone. The family is involved as well you know families are part of the addiction I, and this is one of the classes I teach I teach about interpersonal connections with family and group dynamics and mm -hmm. um, you're, you, you don't have to be a mom or a dad or a sister or a brother using the, the substance but in some way you're playing a part in the role of the addiction with the person which is the underlying symptoms that are driving them to do that that doesn't right. mean it's your fault it means that you're just playing like the enabler role you're giving money you're mm -hmm. Uh, giving a place to, you're making yep. it easier, for instance, in in a lot of ways. Or you don't, you're so worried that something bad will happen that you allow for the behavior that's not nice in the home until right. you bring the right. So you have to. That doesn't mean you have to kick someone out, or you can't. You just have to be aware of that, so you change your behavior that's not contributing to their piece of right. that. Um, and and that is one of the biggest parts of relapsing is that people come right back into the same working environment that didn't change. They've tried to change, but then they come back in and that's where the hurts and the damages and the sadnesses and the resentments are sitting yep. a lot of the times because that's where they festered, that's where they began. And then they go back and that's not resolved. And Not that this is the answer and I don't advocate it as a universal solution, but when you listen to addicts go through their stories, you'd be surprised how often the key moment in their story is the point where the enabler reach Stop. the tough love stage right and right. just say no you can't stay here anymore right or no i'm or not no. going to help you right and obviously it's tough for the parent or the spouse or the sibling or whatever it is whoever right. that person is but that often seems to be a turning point right. for, for people it, many many times and it's and again that tough love and a bit quote-unquote abandonment is not the silver bullet no but it's well, often a key part well, of it it's it's the boundary so boundaries talk about kids right boundaries yeah. and structure for someone to understand that there's you can be here and I will help you, but I won't help you in this way. Yep. So the connection is super important that you don't abandon ship on someone, right? But you abandon the behavior that you were doing to contribute to the problem. Right. So, and, and, I, and I walk this walk as well as tell other people is that when you have someone in your life or people around you that are in addiction, that help them but don't give, you know, you'll buy them dinner, you won't give them money. Right. You'll take them to the grocery store, but you won't give them money. Yeah. Right? Um, you'll give them a place to stay, but as, as soon as they're not, um, as soon as they fall off the wagon, then yeah. they have to find another place to stay immediately. Uh, so there's there's rules and ground rules, and if you don't stick by those, that's right. when it starts to fall apart. So you get, you're helping along someone and containing them for them around good structure and boundaries for yourself because you're not in their lane. You're just doing what's right for right. you instead of trying to control by saying, oh, I have to give them $50 because if I don't, they might die tonight. Well, what if you give them $50 and they use it on heroin and they die? Now you're going to feel guilty that you gave them $50. Right. It would have, I always point that out. I'm like, I'd rather you not give them $50. And if they die, it's not on your hands and your mind because it's never on your hands, but you're going to blame yourself one way or the other. And it's way easier to say they did it on their own than I gave them the $50 that they used. Right. Yeah, so it's it's that's like you know a very prime example of of the contribution that the family makes into a person's addiction. And so if a person's coming out of detox and coming back into an environment, oh, during the pandemic too, right? Yeah. Which, you know, because yeah. detoxes were full, they come back in and now you're back in an isolated house with the same problems that haven't been worked on, which is the underlying problem of the reason. Which wraps around back to the adolescence where the parent says, you deal with this. Right. It's got to be a collaborative effort because right. the, the fact that you get to this point 
was a team result. Exactly. It's got to be a team solution, too. Exactly. Yeah. And, and oftentimes, I mean, you'll see, you get really good cases that, in terms of outcome that they get, catch it early enough and the family and the people or the spouse, they're on board and they get it and they, you know, and they, and it gets together. But more often than not, it's a real training ground for people to really start understanding. Cause a lot of times by the time I see someone they're and I'm not exaggerating, they're on the 30th admission on relapse yeah. and not they've a neutral, blown themselves yeah. out of the yeah. water with their wife or husband has left them. They're broke. They were millionaires and they have nothing left. And yeah. I mean, yeah. Pretty, ex and this is what happens. And now, how do you rebuild that? And so, I mean, many times we can sort of piecemeal it back together with working. In but there's certainly many times that the br the bridges are burned, and it's just you know out. Yeah. So, and what also makes that difficult is that addicts have a particular mindset that non-addicts don't. And so it makes it very tough for them to interact with each other, which is why the community of addicts, when you're in recovery, and your sponsors and your people go to the meeting with and people that you've they learned understand. through recovery are extremely close because they have, they have a shared experience right. and they can speak each other's language. doesn't mean the non-addict can't help, right? but you have to understand that you're working on two different levels of thinking. Well, yeah. right. So, and and I and I think that's one of uh, there's so many. That's like a whole show of like yeah. how to how to help people who are in the helping spot or the family or the spouse spot yeah. or the friend spot. That well, the you, parents or the spouse go. I'll just love them through it. It's right. like it doesn't and, work and that doesn't way. Doesn't work yeah. like that. Yeah. Or or people that unfortunately have that like you know I they don't understand like how can someone think like that if they love me they wouldn't steal from me if they love me they wouldn't drink yeah. if they let. Or it's a choice. The addiction is a choice. Right. And, a choice. Well, and yeah. well, the the actual use, once a person's using, then every time they do use, it's a choice. But it's not a choice to be genetically prone, to, <laughs> to be an addict. But once you're in addiction, every time you pick up, that is a choice. It's then how do you help a person make different choices? Because usually by the time someone's making those choices, yeah. they don't think the addict mind, when it's in addiction actively, doesn't know how to make that decision because it has no other decisions to make. Right. That's the one because there is no other choice. And so for people that don't have the But a non-addict will look at that choice and say, well, there's your family on this side and there's usage on the other. And the addict doesn't think that way. Right. It's just so a completely different in mindset. active addiction don't yeah. think about the consequence of that, like a person who doesn't have the affliction of addiction. Uh, you know, for me and you, right, yep. we, I... I, I only know how the addict mind works because I've been working with people yeah. with addiction for years. And so I get it. And sometimes I have moments where I'm like, I have to really yeah. loop it around in my head going, okay. And that, cause I have to be like, oh, why do they do that? And then, oh, I know why they did that. But if you're just going with like your own mindset yeah. without the clinical thought process, it's like, this doesn't make any sense. Cause it's so foreign. It's like so counter to what you would think. Right. But for a person who's actively in addiction, it makes all the sense in the world. And then, when they're not in addiction, I always point that out to family members or friends or whoever it is or, or parents. I say, remember Bob when he was not. Remember Susie when she was not using. Would she do that? And they're like, no. I'm like, yeah. right. When when the substance or whenever the thing is that is holding their head hostage because it's so powerful, when it's holding them, they don't think like that yeah they think like this and so when i give those metaphors it often helps the situation so if I, all my listeners out there can think of like that they that they i won't say they that people who are in addiction don't think like their wise mind they think in their addiction mind sure. so they their wise mind is when they're not addicted and their non-wise mind is when they are and so you can't you can't make sense out of it so i have yeah. the phrase with a lot of families i say you can't talk to drunk you can't talk to crazy and when you're drunk and crazy <laughs> at the same time Forget it. Forget it. Right? Yeah. So, and that's what a lot of people do. You know, someone comes home and they're high or they're drunk or whatever, and you're like, I can't believe it. How can you do this? And the, the person has no idea you're speaking to them. Yep. You know, and 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 people have to learn that oftentimes the hard way of like you can beat your head against the wall over and over, and like you know, and then the person sobers up, and the next day I'm so sorry, and all this stuff, and then you realize, wait a second, they're not in the addiction in the moment of the substance they're now in coming into their wise yeah. mind until they go back into it so you and it's a learning process and it's very frustrating um and it taps a lot of people out and yeah and so that's why it's so important for people to stay in their own lane who are not in the addiction but to make sure that they you know take care of themselves yep because if they don't take care of themselves they get pulled in and it becomes 
the crazy shows that yep. you know we've all known. And it becomes in some way. it becomes a contribution to the addiction. Right. Well, when you don't establish boundaries, it becomes a, a contribution to the addiction. Right. And, well, and if and establish and hold them, and yep. that's that's where I see a lot of fall down for people that are trying to help. Is that they'll they'll establish a boundary, and then not follow through like kids right yeah if you if you put in a consequence and if you do this oh, yeah one more time yeah and then they do it one more time and nothing nothing yeah so it's and they, so they learn how to blow past your boundaries and then you go it's easier just to not deal but it's really not it causes you greater stress than the stress that would be created if you held the boundary in the first place but yeah. you, it's like anything you don't know it until you actually can really do it and it's scary to do it it's an unknown it's a threat generator of like what if i do that and they leave well, it's it's a similar issue in that you have a hard time as an adult parent trying to get into the mindset of the kid mm -hmm. and what would be effective for them mm -hmm. and a, a lot of times you see parents who are trying to curb a behavior and what they're doing is actually training the child that that behavior is going to get a positive response right yeah right exactly yeah, yeah. and so and and it's and it's the and so combining it with like the pandemic issue and the rise this year is the complicitness yeah. and the complacency that's happened in homes yeah because the parents have given up too. I mean, right. given up is probably it's, wrong it's but up. it's just it's like it's easier just like ugh, yeah you know, i'll deal with this later yeah well, I'm, later, I'm dealing with so much i'm not going to deal with you know this right now yeah. right and it's in that and unfortunately that problem lands in the hospitals or my consults or you know in detox because it the the increase in the amount of people seeking help now for recovery is huge i mean look at the tv ads i mean i yeah. don't know what it is like across the country but i know here in massachusetts or when i've traveled to florida i mean florida is a mecca of like yeah. recovery programs and right. some great ones and um i tend to send people out west more often because there's a couple really great programs yeah. out there that's um, the change of location strategy a lot of times yet yeah, you and you talk about getting <laughs> out of the environment right to, to help get on the uh, addiction right. recovery but unfortunately you go through the program in florida and you come back home into the same situation well, so that's yeah. what i was just going to say so it's, yeah. it's the geography doesn't fix the problem what it does is it changes the latitude which changes the attitude right yeah. and if you can get out of the attitude and and change that that latitude when you come back you're more likely going to have it set up if you do come back a lot of times clients like that i send end up not coming back yeah. they stay and then they get a job like they they realize yeah. that, that the environment is not good for them to come back to if it hasn't changed but many of the programs are super good now in terms of working with either spousal families or parenting families or you know or something yeah. that if it's not if the if they haven't blown up the family at that point <laughs> that there's usually really good family work that happens that they can introduce and get it going and then provide the service coming back um so that people can return home and then then some people don't which is fine um, I mean, because the statistics for people in recovery, I mean, I used to work in, and do groups all the time, and I'd sit with, like, veterans a lot, and I'd look around the room, and I, you know me, I'm very blunt clinically, because I don't want to ever sugarcoat, like, the reality of something, you know, and right. I, I would say, look around the room, for, for every hundred of you, there will only be one that will remain in recovery for one full year before you relapse. Yeah. And they would, like... Yeah. The look of like, how can you say that? That's so negative. No, it's like, it's it's negative, but it's positive in the fact that do you want to be the one? Who yeah. wants to be the one? And I want you to be the one, and I want you to have five of you be, right? So it's because people don't wrap their head around the fact that it's a big deal for them to be in recovery, that, that they're more likely to be back in relapse right? if they don't make these changes to hold, hold the, the recovery together. Because if it's not just as simple as going to a meeting and going to work and then you know having a sponsor you have to actually look at why how and when you got to the point you are at i have countless stories of people who i and i still have at least one client over the years he won't look at he refuses to look at the things he just he's an addict because he's an addict and all the things even though i pointed out like 10 things that have contributed to the reason why he is nope yep nope but he still comes so i know he's i know he knows but he just doesn't want to so i do the work but that's, i talk about it and he yeah. comes but he's just like but that's know. accepting responsibility right which is one of the keys here because right. addiction didn't doesn't happen to doesn't you. happen to you right i was going to say that but i wasn't sure of it but yeah addiction yeah. doesn't happen to you right Right. It, it's a culmination of circumstances. Well, yeah, I mean, I so mean, that, culmination of your decisions and well, your circumstances. Well, it's, it's a com it's a culmination of a lot of different things. Yeah. I mean, you're you know you're, you're usually genetically loaded. 
There's, yep. you know, obviously, right? There's, mm -hmm. there's a line. And then what happens is it either activates or it doesn't activate. That's why we've done great twin studies to see if, like, if you're raised in a house of alcoholics versus not. And I mean, the, really? right? yeah. Um, but it's an accumulation of socialized, environmental, nurtured in or nurtured out or exposure rates to social groups, friends, family, coaches, pediatrician like it's it's a it's a you know it's a it's a tribe effort that you know somewhere it starts go off the rails somewhere yep. um and for most people it's some emotional traumatic event um and it doesn't have to be a death it's not like over the top it could be an accumulation of a parent constantly shaming and blaming yep. and putting a child down to never make them feel good enough the underside of addiction is shame People yep. are feeling ashamed of themselves, not good enough. Chronic self-image issues, low self -image. You know, yeah, which so, lead to chronic social issues. Right, which, yeah, and so yeah. the withdrawal, and it starts young. It's usually, you know, you, you start being in, in addiction between zero and six years old, essentially. It sets you up then really? for what's going to come yeah. later. And then how it gets activated is your exposure and environment, what you're nurtured about. Are you given positive reinforcement? Are you given unconditional love or not? Yep. And it's just a matter, and then <laughs> it builds into the kids' resiliency and who, you know, because you can have some kids that are in, you know, alcoholic families, you know, and grow up and become adult children of alcoholics, but never become alcoholics or drug addict, drug addicts themselves. Um, and for, for a variety of reasons, because yeah. they had protective factors that their parent didn't have. Um, and, you know, and they grow up and this is the norm. I mean, there's some great books out there if people want to... There's um, children of the self-absorbed growing up as an addict, a ch an adult child of an um, alcoholic home. Um, that's a great book. Um, uh, Melody Beattie's uh, Codependent No More. Yeah. Codependency is a huge um, piece of addiction, and usually people who have addiction usually. I always yeah. my my class always challenges me whenever we have this big debate every every semester about like I love the debate too because it's it gets people thinking about like is there is there ever a time that there's not codependency somewhere no yeah because you're codependent you build I you know I need you to need me to need you that's my phrase is like I need you to need me to need you whether you're talking about a pill bottle a bottle uh you know sex addict yep. a gambling I need the thing I need it to need me to need it. Yep. So, you know, the codependency is there and it's a relationship or it could be the thing. So I'm guessing modeling transference has a lot yes. to do with that. Now, yes. I remember a key point because my family life wasn't, you know, wasn't Dick Van Dyke, that's for sure. But early in, uh, early I ran into a good friend and his family life was great. His mm -hmm. parents and that environment in that house, that became, oh, this is the way it's done. Mm -hmm. This is the way I want to be. This is the house I'd you know, like to be in. So that was modeling a different way of approaching things. Right. You know, right. just parenting, being being part of a unit and, you know, going that way, you know. Right. Whether you find it in a coach, whether you find it in a teacher, whether you find it in your, your best friend's parents, or right. you find a different role model, essentially. Right. And if you have the resilient, if you have a resilient protective factor, like a role model that actually gets your match, and that's, that's usually what, when, when people have, report when people report to me about like what has kept them away from doing those things it's more often than not that someone in their life has been the protective factor in some way that they well that's the model in, in addiction recovery isn't yes. it it's basically finding someone else to model yes because I mean, that's yeah well the connection to that person yeah. right someone who has the same context you have but are dealing with things a different way right because the stories are so similar if you sit yeah. around an aa room yep and you listen to the stories, which I encourage people to do because it's, you know, like life. Yeah. Everyone has a similar story. It may have been on East Street versus 12th Street, but yeah. the stories are the same. Or it could be in Dorchester, Massachusetts versus Winchester, Massachusetts. Sure. It doesn't matter because the stories are going to very be very similar as to what happened to make the person sitting in the room be sitting in the room. Right. But so. you're looking at that person who has the same story you have different names and places but the same story right but they're here right and you go oh i can get here right you know exactly. what's he doing what is she doing right how do i get there too right and that's yeah. the benefit of having that universal shared experience and the cohesiveness mm -hmm. team sport is yep. so that you feel the camaraderie that i'm not alone which brings it back around to the pandemic i'm not alone yeah. and and this has been isolating so that's why it's like encouraging people get out there groups are there they've been going on and to to be able to get a handle on this because now that things are opening up more in the past week especially that's why i said a panic there's been such a flurry of 
calls to my office of you know people thinking oh I really? nobody was yeah. open for like I think yeah. there was a mindset that people thought that things were closed and I'm thinking you know yeah I have a six month wait list so yeah. there's <laughs> there's not not closed and so people are surprised I got a message this morning from someone saying oh my gosh my because my message machine says if you'd like to be a client you certainly can but there's a wait list wow you yeah. know and people are like oh can you put me on the wait list and I'll call back and say well it's four months or it's six months they're like I'm willing to wait because everybody's saying that so it's uh, you know so <clears throat> for if you can't get into individual work there's plenty of group activities yep. going on there's plenty of stuff being started up people are going back to doing meetup groups I know it, I, you can just see the flurry all over social media right now going hey next week on when everything opens up we're getting together we're going to do a softball I mean so it's starting it's out there Get out there, do but it. But it's, it's a good opportunity if you haven't done these types of groups right. and things because usually you think of it as a click and you don't want to break into an already established society, but everyone's reestablishing now. Right. So it's and, an and open door. One of the, I think that's one of the best things, and, and it's been working with kids too because kids are like, oh my God, I'm going back to school and it's a new class and nobody knows me. And I don't, I'm like, you're all doing the same thing. Yep. You're all coming. For once, you're all going to be going together at the same time. You're all feeling the same way. Nobody's been, nobody's right. been there to have all these 75 friends you're all doing it at the same exact time, so you're all coming in on equal footing for the most part. Yeah. I mean, obviously there's... And they don't here. know what you did in fourth grade, so they're not going to make fun of you for it. Right, exactly. And <laughs> yeah. they haven't been following you for the past year, and yeah. they don't care because yeah. everyone's worried about themselves because <laughs> everyone's feeling the same thing. So Fresh start. Exactly. So anyway, so Mental Health Awareness Month is is really important to be doing that for the whole year and and just being conscientious of the fact that people are struggling and that, you know, when somebody flips you off and <laughs> tries to run you off the road, well, remember, they might be having their own issue that day. No, that's old school, Massachusetts. We can deal with that. <laughs> <laughs> so um, anyway, you guys, I it's the clock on the wall says it's time to go. So you guys have a great week. Enjoy your weather if you have good mm -hmm. weather and um, have good mental health.